<laughs> NBC Arlington, what's good? How you guys doing? You all right? Good. Good. Well, it's good to see you guys this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Eric. I'm the location pastor here. Uh, if you got a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to the, to the book of James. Book of James. We're in James 5 this week. We're going to start off on verse 7, head on down to verse 12. James 5, verse 7 uh, through 12. We're in the middle. Uh, if you're catching us for the first time, we're in the middle of a series titled uh, The Beauty of Faith. And what that uh, title is meant to illustrate is this, is that when you trust and believe in Jesus Christ and he transformed you, that transformation isn't just for you, right? So when you are transformed um, into the image of Jesus Christ, what you are called to produce is honestly a beauty to the world so that the world might see what he's done in you and that uh, they might trust in him too. And so James talks a little bit about uh, what is some of the transformation? What does that transformation look like uh, when uh, the gospel of Jesus gets a hold of your heart, right? And today we're going to talk about an important topic. We're going to talk about something that we all deal with. Uh, we're going to talk about something that we all need, and that topic is patience, all right? And so James 5, 7 through 12, let's get it. Here it is. It says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is the word of God. Let's take a moment to pray this morning. Father, we love you. And God, we are grateful that the only way that we can possibly conjure up love for you is because you reached down and you loved us first. And we're thankful that you did that and you demonstrated that at the cross at Calvary, that Jesus would come and he would live that perfect life that we did not live, that he would take the punishment upon himself that we deserve and that he would rise again, give us new life. And he would help us to understand that this world is not our home. So God, I pray that you will teach our hearts along for heaven this morning. Uh, God, I pray that today that we won't just be distracted. God, I pray that we will give ourselves uh, to wrap the attention as we're hearing your word this morning, knowing that whenever your word is open, that you're speaking. So, Father, will you help us? Will you help us to hear your word, listen to it, apply it? We love you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. If you agree, say amen, amen. Hey, y'all, listen, it's the month of December. And what that means is it's the month when your employer gives you gifts that you neither ask for or, uh, or expected or even expressed a desire for, right? And so this, so this is a, a season of life where you can expect uh, the coffee mug with the company logo on it, or you can expect uh, the have zip with the logo on it, or you can expect like the classic bumper sticker. Like nobody really does bumper stickers anymore. Uh, and like nobody likes those except if they have a clean Bible church on it. So NBC, if you're watching, I appreciate my half zip. Thank you. But <laughs> employers are good at giving gifts 
that don't feel like gifts, but there's one company that actually, it, this company took the cake. So there was a CNN article a while back of a 64-year-old man uh, in France, and this company gifted him uh, with a ride, a jewel ride in a fighter jet. Even though he never expressed a desire to ride in a fighter jet, he never had been in one, like he, he didn't say that he wanted that. They, they gave it to him. And so when they pulled up at the airfield they, and they revealed the gift, he did what many of us do when we receive a bad gift and we don't want to disappoint the person that gave it. He gritted his teeth and he said, thank you. And he went ahead and climbed in the fighter jet because he was afraid of disappointing uh, these people, even though within everything in his body was telling him to get out. Now, listen, I don't know about you, but there's certain gifts that I'm going to refuse. And that's one of them. And so he's stressed out. He's in his fighter jet. He's scared out of his mind. The plane climbs to 2,500 feet. It begins to shake. It hits some turbulence. And he thought, I would rather be anywhere else but where I am right now. He's in a situation he doesn't want to be in. His heart is racing. He's just looking for something to grab onto. So he's just grabbing on to stuff. And little did he know that the thing that he grabbed onto was the eject lever. So this dude was propelled out of the plane. And as he floated down into a nice meadow above Germany somewhere, his first thought was, how in the world did I end up here? And I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever been in this. You probably haven't been in a situation like that. But I know you've been in a situation in life that you didn't want to end up in. And if you haven't been in that situation, I'm here to tell you today that if you live life long enough, you're going to get there. You're going to be in a situation where you got that job and it was your dream job and you wanted it and it was amazing and all of a sudden that job was getting difficult. You're going to be in the, in the position where the doctor comes back into the room and gives you the diagnosis that you wasn't expecting. You're going to be in a situation and life is going to bring you to the marriage that man on the wedding day it was promising man. I don't know what kind of wedding you did. There was rice thrown to the air and it was amazing. And now that wedding doesn't feel so promising anymore. It kind of feels like a prison. I don't know what it is for you. Life may bring you to the season of singleness that is lasting longer than you expected. The friendship that doesn't feel like one right now. Life is going to bring you to the disappointment. It's going to bring you to the unmet expectations. It's going to bring you to the suffering. It's going to bring you to the frustration. And in those moments when you are overcome by frustration, when you are in a situation that you don't like, you, you can believe that the only way that you can possibly hold on, that the, that the only way that you can make it through the pain is to hit the eject lever. So for many of you, you're frustrated with people and you think that the only way that you can move on is to hit eject on that relationship. You're frustrated with work and the only recourse of action that you have to hit is to hit eject on a job. Some of you, you're frustrated with church and you think that, oh, the only way that I can get beyond this frustration is to hit eject on them too. You might, be hitting, you might be frustrated with the physical pain and you think, oh man, the only recourse I have is simply to hit Eject, But here's the thing. Let me tell you that in your season of frustration, there actually is another way. There really is. Hear me today. When the frustrated, frustration indicator light flashes on the dashboard of your life, hear me this morning. God is often not telling you to eject. God is telling you to remain. Often God is telling you, listen, brace yourself. 
And when you brace yourself, what you need to cling to is don't cling to the eject button. What you need to do is to cling to me. Often when you're in a season of frustration, God is not telling you to run. He's telling you to remain. And here's the thing. Sometimes we use those frustration indicators in our lives as a reason to say, oh, God is moving me on to a new season because I'm frustrated. But I think more often than not, hear me this morning, God is using our frustration to grow us in the same old season that we've always been in. Why is that? Because in your frustration, he's trying to teach you and grow you. And one of the areas that gives proof that the Holy Spirit is alive in your life, what God is trying to teach you is this. He's trying to teach you patience. He's trying to teach you patience. And James says as much in James 5, 7 through 12. Patience is a word that's repeated all throughout, up and down this whole passage. And patience, patience is a quality that for many of us, we want it. For many of us, we know that we need it. However, hear me this morning, while all of us want the destination of patience, nobody wants the process to get there. Nobody wants it. Especially in our culture, y'all, we want it and we want it now. And we've created technology that allows us to get whatever we want right now. We got two-day delivery. We got Uber Eats. We've created optimization. And so we think that frustration shouldn't, be a, shouldn't have a place in our lives anymore. But for the Christian, listen to me today. God has never used someone greatly that he hasn't called to wait. For many of y'all, y'all look at Joseph and you're like, man, I want, what, I want how Joseph's life ended up. And my question for you is, really? Because Joseph spent almost a, a little bit more than a decade in prison for something that he didn't do before he was elevated to a position of authority in Egypt. You might look at me and you say, all right, cool, forget Joseph. I want to be more like Moses. You really want to be like him. <laughs> Moses spent 40 years before God used him to rescue the people of Israel. He spent 40 years in a dry, dusty plant in Midian, tending sheep. The same old job every single day, um, the equivalent from 1983 up until now, tending sheep. Some of y'all can't keep a job for 40 days. This brother was up here 40 years until God grabbed him and used him to lead God's people. And there's so many people I could go on. David, Abraham, you name them. God used a season of waiting in their lives to do something incredible. And hear me today, that same God who used a season of waiting in their lives is alive and well today and desires to do the same in yours. God is telling you this morning, for many of you, matter of fact, for all of you guys, I can almost guarantee you, there is a place in your life that you're thinking, God, I don't like where I am. I want to be somebody else. And God is telling you this morning, listen, I know you want to get there. I know you want to get to where you got to go. I know you want to get over the health crisis. I know you want to get married. I know you want to have the children. I know you want to see the results, but you're going to have to trust me on this one because I'm doing something and I don't operate on your timeline. He's trying to do a work in you, y'all. Verse one, the first two words of this passage, he says straight up, be patient. Be patient. And that word patience is a Greek compound word. It, it, the word is makrodumeo. Can you say makrodumeo? You just spoke Greek. And so mac, macro means long, right? And thumos means rage. And this phrase has the idea that this person is in a uh, situation that is pushing their buttons. And what patience is, is to be long to rage when you're in that situation. Long to anger. And all of this applies that you're in a situation that you don't want to be in, that you don't like. 
And this is why patience is one of those things that like you want to pray for, but right when you begin to pray for it, you're like, nah, I don't want to pray for that. I don't want to pray for that. Why? Because you know good and well the moment that you start asking God for patience, that that necessitates him to put you in a, a situation that you don't want to be in. And like muscles grow under the pressure of weight, y'all, we grow in patience under the pressure of a trial, under the pressure of frustration. Y'all, you don't learn patience when everything is going well. You only learn patience when you hear about another person getting a promotion at your job and you've been working your butt off, clocking in time in, time out, putting in overtime, and that, and that person that got the promotion wasn't you. You only learn patience when you get married and you wanted the big family, and yet you're years into marriage, battling infertility, all the while constantly hearing stories in our culture of people who got pregnant and didn't want to get pregnant. And you're sitting there thinking, God, here I am being faithful to you. You only learn patience when you're waiting on the results to come back from the doctor. You only learn patience when everybody is walking towards the altar except you. Patience. You're in a situation that your bank account can't fix. Your intellect can't fix it. And the only person you can look to is the one from whom your help comes. Patience. You're not in control. The Puritans had a name for this season, and they called it the school of waiting. Because in your waiting, you can learn something. Andrew Murray, uh, that Puritan author, he put it this way. He said, at our first entrance into the school of waiting upon God, the heart is mainly set on the blessings which we wait for. God graciously uses our needs and desires for help to educate us for something higher than we're thinking of. We're seeking gifts. We were seeking gifts. He, the giver, longs to give himself and to satisfy the soul with his goodness. It is just for this reason that he often withholds the gifts and that the time of waiting is made so long. He is constantly seeking to win the heart of his child for himself. He wishes that we would not only say when he bestows the gift, how good is God? But that long before the gift comes, and even if it never comes, we should all the time be experienced. It is good that a man should wait, should quietly wait. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him. I love that quote, but that quote reveals this. In your waiting, God has taken you to school. He wants you to know him. He wants you to understand that he is more good than anything that you're waiting on him for. But for many of us, we skip this school. I mean, I, I go to home all the time. I always see people from high school, including those people that, man, when I was in school, wishing that I was skipping. They was out here skipping, running the streets, uh, doing class. And uh, I, I saw some of them, and they often tell me, if I could do it all again, I want to do that. I would give myself to school. And here's the thing. I'll bring this home to your neighborhood. You are tempted right now to skip God's school of waiting. You're tempted to skip it. But hear me. And I've said this before, there are worse things than sitting in God's school of waiting. There are worse things than sitting in God's school of waiting. Here's the worst thing. It's, mission, it's wishing that you never missed a class. God wants to teach us something. So what is he trying to teach us in situations that require waiting, that require patience? This passage helps us with that. Here's the first one I want to give you. God is trying to teach you in this season of waiting 
that your patience has a purpose. Like a good Baptist pastor, all my points got P's in them, right? God is teaching you that your patience has a purpose. Hear me out. God may be using the frustrations in your life to teach you this fact that this earth is not your home. It's not your home. I love it. In verse 7, look at verse 7. It says, be patient, therefore, brothers. What does he say? Until the coming of the Lord. And what it's implying there is that as long as you are on this side of eternity, there's always going to be an opportunity for you to grow, to patient, grow in patience. You're not going to outgrow your need for patience. We tend to think that if we just got the thing that we really wanted right now, then I'll be good. I'll never be frustrated. But guess what? When you receive that good thing, you'll get another opportunity to be patient for something else. You'll never outgrow your need for patience. And this, and this faculty of patience in your life that you need to grow in, it is there to teach you to long for heaven. Y'all, frustration and hardships only will find their eternal death at heaven's gates. Mother Teresa once said it like this. She said, compared to the glories of heaven, the worst of pains will seem like one bad night at a sheep hotel. Here's the thing. Our problem is that we think that we can do something in this life that would make it frustration and pain-free. We think, oh, man, I'm just optimize my life a little bit better. When if I just read some books about this, or, man, like if I just got the thing that I really wanted, if I performed some kind of life hack, then I wouldn't feel this frustration anymore. And the reason why we feel that way is because our hearts are in constant search for paradise. And we think that we can somehow find it here below. And I've shared this analogy before, but I think it's pretty powerful. Uh, there's a reality show uh, that uh, got canceled after like four episodes. But this reality show was called Eden. And the thought behind the show was really this. 22 contestants get dropped off in an exotic locale. It's beautiful. They leave all the frustrations and drama of their modern life. And together they're tasked with making a new perfect civilization from scratch. It's interesting. One contestant said this about the show. She said, in theory, it could have been great. It was actually an opportunity to escape the conflicts and materialism of modern life. And you can guess it went wrong. Twelve people quit. Everybody started fighting. Bullying and sexism ruled the day. And the show, like I said before, was canceled after four episodes. And it's so interesting. She said they left the conflicts and the materialism behind, but it seemed like the conflict and the materialism was stowed away in the luggage because it met them there as well. Y'all, Eden didn't leave them satisfied. They could not find paradise that their hearts were looking for. And I want to bring this on to your neighborhood. It's because of this. Your heart is in constant search for paradise. Your heart is in constant search of paradise. And often we believe that we can find it here. And that's a lie. And our world's going to keep feeding us that lie. Our world's going to keep telling you that, hey, you're going to find Eden in your next relationship. You're going to find Eden in your next job. You're going to find Eden with the family that you want. You're going to find Eden when you get the house. You're going to find Eden when, you, when, when you're able to retire. And it may be good for a while, but it's not going to cure the discontentment in your soul. It's not going to solve the frustration in your life. So here me this morning, have you ever thought about this? Think about it in this way. Can God simply be allowing the frustration and discontentment in your life to cause you to long for a better place than Eden? 
To God be allowed with the frustration in your life that to teach you that no matter how life good, no, no, no matter how good life gets, don't kick your feet up because this life is not your home. It's not here. Y'all, patience has the potential to teach you to long for an eternity with Jesus. So don't skip the class. If you're in Christ and you've trusted in him, hear me today. Heaven is your future and heaven is more real and heaven is more certain than the fact that you'll take your next breath. It's there. It's a place where, where, where you'll find the satisfaction that your heart is looking for. No matter how long you live, no matter how much you succeed, and no matter how much good stuff that you experience in this life, there will be some itches on this plane that you can't scratch. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. He goes on to say, if I must, I must keep my, my, my uh, I, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others do the same. Y'all allow your frustration to remind you of this fact that this isn't your home. And I'm not telling you to settle for mediocrity. But when you are experiencing frustration and pain, and you are sitting in a season that you don't want to sit in, and all you want to do is get out, your first question to the God of heaven should not be, God, would you rescue me from this? Yes, you can pray that. But I want to encourage you to pray this way. God, how are you trying to grow me in this? How are you trying to grow me in this? And one of the things that God is growing us in when we're frustrated in life, he's teaching us to long for heaven. He's growing our appetite for heaven. Y'all, when your appetite for heaven is growing, you'll see your illness differently. Here's the thing. Our God in heaven is good. He is not the cause of your illness. However, he is sovereign over your illness. And he might be allowing that to take place in your life to build your appetite for the place where there is no need for doctors. You see, guys, when your appetite for heaven is growing, you'll see the drama in your life a bit differently. He can use your drama to grow your appetite for the place where there is simply eternal peace. I don't know what you're going through, whether it's the loneliness or whether it's the frustration. And here's what I love about this text is this. It's not only is this text telling you what you should be waiting for. It's also telling you how you should wait. Because, y'all, if I ended the sermon here, you're thinking, yo, Eric is just telling me I need to kick up my feet and just wait for heaven to come. I could just chill. I could be complacent. I could be apathetic, y'all. Uh, I could just do what I want to do, and then heaven's going to come, and, and, and I could just sit back and chill. But, but no, James is also telling us how we should wait as well. And so not only is, uh, is God in this text teaching us uh, that our patience has a purpose, and then this text is also telling us that our patience also has a posture. It's a posture of patience. And so patience has a posture. What is that? Look at the end of verse 7. James says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So pretty much in that text, he's saying, listen, if you want to see the bit of the posture of patience, how you should live a patient life, you should take cues of the farmer. 
Now, listen, y'all, I know we live in Arlington. I know there ain't really no farmers in our city. Um, but in the, with the people that James was writing to, it was an agrarian society. Most of the people, especially those who were poor, lived off of the land. They knew how this worked. And they knew this fact, that, part, that farming isn't a passive, a passive affair. You don't just sit back, tick your feet up, and expect the crops. That farming is active. Man, my mom, she grew up on a sharecropping farm, farm in a small town called Windsor, North Carolina. And she used to tell me how she used to get up early in the morning. And before school, she had to work. And one of the things that my mom told me that she didn't do is that farming is a passive. My mom wasn't sitting on the porch crocheting, looking at the fields and saying, I said, crops grow. She wasn't just sitting up there just chilling or even saying, God, I command you to grow these crops. No, she wasn't doing that. No, a farmer worked hard. My mom planted, 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 tilled, 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 worked, 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 day in, day after day, month after month, year after year, knowing that unless God sends the rain, them crops ain't growing. And I love it because you see here that patience, from the example of a farmer, patience isn't passive resignation. Patience is active obedience. It's us working to trust the Lord, doing his will, and trusting him to do the things that, that only he alone can do. And so one of the examples that we see this actually in the Bible is through the work of the Apostle Paul, y'all. Most of what Paul wrote, he wrote behind a prison cell door. And what I'm struck by by Paul is he couldn't control that. He could control if he got arrested or whatever. But what I'm um, struck by is how Paul prayed when he got locked up, right? So I don't know about you, but if I get locked up, my first prayer is, God, what you gonna, what we going to do? Like, God, like, how are you going to spring me up out of this situation? But what's so interesting about Paul is that Paul never prayed for God to bust him out. I honestly think that's a perfectly fine prayer request to pray. But it's interesting how he didn't pray. Paul didn't say, God, remember that time back in the day when you sent that earthquake and you busted me and Silas out of jail? Hey, God, can you do that again? Or he didn't look at his neighbor, Peter. He says, God, I remember um, back in Acts 12 that you busted Peter out of prison. Yo, let me get one of those numbers. No, I love it. There's one passage where Paul prays while he's in prison. And pretty much Paul prays this way. I'm summarizing it. God, I'm locked up by these prison doors. But you, will you allow me to see an opportunity for your gospel to get out? Like, that's how he prays. God, and Paul is sitting there, y'all. He's like you. He's in a frustrating situation right now that he can't control. And instead of praying, God, will you eject me? What he prays is, God, will you allow me to see the opportunity that I have by being here? Y'all, God, I'm in a hard time. But God, will you help me make the most of it? And listen, when you're in your season of frustration, guys, listen to me. You got to get to the point where your pity party is over. Y'all, grieve your frustration. Be honest about the fact that you are waiting. But there has to come a time when you sit up and you pray, God, how are you going to grow? How are you going to grow me in this? God, how are you going to use this frustration to grow me to be more like Jesus Christ? And this leads me to say this, guys. You need friends in your life who aren't either one of, who, 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 who are one of these kind of friends. For many of us, you share your frustrations in life, and all your friend can do is sit there and cross their arms and, 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 and nod their head and say, man, like, 
That must be hard. Or you got a friend who really don't care about your troubles. They're like, yo, get over it. Yo, you don't need either one of those friends. <laughs> you need kind of a combination, right? You need some people in your life who are going to sympathize with you in your frustration, but eventually they're going to call you. They're going to call you to see what God might be doing in it, right? Instead of simply listening to people and hearing the complaint about your life, we need to be the, need to be the kind of friends who love them and who care for them but also gently remind them that God might be doing something in this season of frustration. So don't waste it in your desire to get beyond it. Consider what, my, consider what God might be doing in it. So you may look at me and say, Eric, okay, cool, Eric. What else is God trying to teach me in this school of waiting? I'm going to give you a third thing. He's trying to teach us the purpose of patience, the posture of patience. And I told you I got a lot of peas. God is teaching you that your patience must be practiced. It must be practiced. Y'all hear me this morning. You don't just have patience. You're not born with it. If y'all ever seen a baby, one thing that a baby isn't is a baby isn't patient. If a baby wants something, it gonna let you, that baby going to let you know, I want it and I want it now. Babies aren't patient. You don't just have patience. You gain patience. And I love it because James here describes some opportunities that you actually have in life to gain patience if you will only see them as opportunities. And here's one opportunity. You gain patience by practicing patience with difficult people. Difficult people are an opportunity for you to grow in patience. I'll put it this way, y'all. So James here is talking to the church. So you look at verse uh, 9. He says, do not grumble against one another. He's talking to a church here. He says, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And I love this because it's tempting for you when you join a church, right? To look around and see all the things that you love about the church. So you guys who, who, who are part of this church, man, you may have came here. You're like, man, wow, man. All these people, man, they're they young and good looking, man. They love Jesus. They got Christmas trees on stage and whatnot. They got a nice screen in the back. Like, everybody's great here. I love this church. I want to be a part of it. I can imagine myself being frustrated with these people. And to that, I look at you and I say, hey, give it time. Give it time. Because it's going to happen. Now, we're sinful people, bringing ourselves among sinful people. We're being transformed more to the image of Jesus Christ. People should see beauty in us, but they're still broken in us, right? And what I love about this text is that James is writing to ethnic Jews. So when he tells them, don't grumble against one another, their minds would immediately went back to the Exodus. If you know anything about the Exodus, you know that God rescued his people from slavery. He did all these amazing things. And the moment that they're on the trip towards the promised land, they began to grumble and complain about the accommodations. They began proclaiming, oh, the food isn't great and we're scared. And we actually had it better back in Egypt uh, before. And a journey that should have taken a few weeks took them 40 years. Why? Because they grumbled and complained. And they had no place to grumble and complain, and neither do we. Verse 9, he says, Do not grumble against one another, brother, so that you may not be judged. The judge is standing at the door. We have a temptation in our lives. When things happen in our lives outside of control, and we don't even know who to fight to get what we want, what we end up, what we end up beginning to do is fighting the people around us. We're frustrated with, frustrated with life, and we begin to get discontent and angry and grumble against the very people God has given us to love us. 
He's saying, don't do that. Don't grumble against one another. He's talking about the church, brothers and sisters in faith. And he's saying, listen, when people start to rub you the wrong way, don't look at the faith family that God has sovereignly placed you in and start grumbling against them. Be patient with them. And why is that? Because in your patience, God is trying to teach you a little something about his patience with you. Don't despise this lesson. Y'all, when you remember the patience of God, it creates in you a patience with other people. And here's the day. When you grumble against other people, you are killing what God wants to do in your life as it relates to other people. Eric, what are you talking about? When you grumble against other people, that's typically you saying, God, my life would be so much better if they would stop doing what they're doing right now. And it's often God in his sovereignty allows that person to keep doing what they're doing because his point right now is not for him to change them. What he wants to do is he wants to change you through them. He wants to grow you in patience. God wants to grow you in patience with the people at your job, the people who share your address, the people that, is in, the pe- people that are in your church group. And yet, like the people of Israel, we've stiff-armed his work because we're so busy grumbling. We're so busy saying, God, will you eject me from this rather than asking, God, how are you trying to grow me as a result of that person? Y'all be patient with people because God has been so patient with you. And that's the gospel message. The gospel message is this, is that you have sinned against a holy God. That God of heaven created you to enjoy him forever. And yet instead of enjoying him, And obeying him in glad obedience, we said, God, you know what? I think I'm smarter than you. I'm going to live life the way that I want to rather than the way you want me to. The Bible calls that sin. And God being just and good, our sin ultimately separates us from him. And if we die in that state, we are under his just wrath. And he's a judge. But not only is God a judge, he's a loving father. And what's amazing about our God is that God the Father sent his only son, Jesus, for us. Jesus came, lived a perfect life in full obedience to his father, the obedience that we did not, that we did not offer him. And having no sin for which to die, we have a savior who died on the cross for our sin in our place, taking the punishment that we deserve. And what's amazing about Jesus is this, is that he did not stay dead, y'all. Three days later, he got up. He rose again. He sits at the right hand of the throne of the Father. And this gives us an opportunity to come to him and confess our sin, to confess ways in which we have not acknowledged him in the way that we should. And when we do that, the Bible says that we can be forgiven of all that we've ever done and that we can enjoy new life with him. God has been patient with us. And when you have trusted and believed in Jesus Christ, you look back all over your life at the life that you, at the, at the life that you lived before, and all you can say is, God, thank you for being patient with me. And this spills over into our relationships with other people. So not only do you gain um, patience by practicing it with difficult, with difficult people, you also gain patience by practicing it in difficult circumstances too. So this is why I love verses 10 through 11. Verse 10, he says, James says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. What I love here is that, like, these are people who were Jewish. They would have known these people. He was saying, listen, 
Think about these prophets who were in hard circumstances. Pay attention to them because that's the kind of patience I want you to have. He says, look at the prophets. People like Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a teenager who was called to preach a message and, and God prepared them ahead of time. He said, I'm calling you to preach a message and it's a message that the people you're preaching to, they ain't going to like it. They're not going to like it. Matter of fact, you're going to preach this message for 40 years and nobody's going to listen to you. Jeremiah was around 17 when God called him. 17 years old for 40 years. You're going to preach and nobody's going to listen to you. Patience. You want patience? Look at people like Hosea. God tells Hosea, hey, Hosea, my people have been unfaithful to me. I had this covenant with them, and they keep breaking it time and time and time and time again. So Hosea, I'm going to need you to do something. I need you to be an illustration of my love and my patience with people. So I need you to go to the, to a, uh, to the block. I need you to meet this girl named Gomer. I want you to marry her. And let me tell you up front that your marriage to her, it ain't going to be great. Yeah, your marriage to her, you ain't gonna be posting how you love her and, 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 and how you and how she completes you on on Instagram. It's not gonna happen. Matter of fact, in the words of the philosopher Taylor Swift, she's gonna be trouble as soon as she walks in. That's her. She's gonna cheat on you again, again, and again, and again. And whenever she does, you go get her because whatever my people cheat on me, I go get them. You know what you got to do in order to do that? You know what you got to have? You got to have patience, right? And God wants us to be patient, not just with people, but with him and his plan. He does. Here's where you see Job. We see Job mentioned in verse 11. Think about Job and his life. Man, Job had it all. If Job lived today, we would look at him and his life, and we would say, man, I want that. He got the beautiful family that's on the postcard, man. He's very fit. He's rich as all get out. We would love his life. And there was one day that he snapped his fingers, and all the riches were gone. There was one day that he was standing on a stage like this, and he looked down, and there was 10 caskets in front of him, one for each of his children. Health was gone, and the only thing that was left behind was a nagging wife. That's all he had. And even in the midst of all that, Job says this. He says, listen, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that, that, that this Redeemer ain't done with me. I can't trace his hand, but I know he's doing something in all this. And hear me today, when you're in a hard situation and things don't feel great, you need, to let, you need to let what you know about God to trump how you feel in the moment. You need to preach that to yourself. Because here's the thing. One of the issues that we're always going to have that are going to block us from patience is our own pride in our own perspective. Ben, you guys can come back. You guys can go ahead and come back up. And I got a good friend that uh, he's like a fan, he's a doctor in the field of neurobiology, which simply means that when he tells me what he's up to at work, I got no clue what he's saying. Right? I'm just nodding my head being like, okay, whatever, because it's above my pay grade. But I remember one time he was having one of those conversations where he was talking to me and I had no clue what he was talking about. And what he was explaining is there was a situation at work where he had come up with some solution um, that, had, uh, that had stumped uh, many people who were working in this field, many smart people, many people who were above him, he had come up with a solution to a problem that many people couldn't come up with. 
And when he came up with that solution, many of his uh, many of his colleagues, many of the people who were above him, were very skeptical about his solution and his work. He started telling me about all of it. I didn't quite understand what he was saying, but I did understand this. He brought it down for me. He said these critics, these researchers, couldn't figure it out themselves, so they didn't think that it could be figured out. And I said, "Listen, I I, I get that." Because I think that's a perfect illustration of why we have trouble with patience in our lives. We're tempted to say to God, God, I can't figure out why you got me in this season. Therefore, there must not be a reason why you have me in this season. So many of us are like this. You can't figure it out. So you think that it can't be figured out. And the God of all heaven is trying to look at you and say, no, no, no. I got to figure out. Will you just trust me? Will you just trust the fact that I know what I'm doing? What I love as I close is that Hebrews 11 is a chapter of faith in the Bible, but you can also consider it a chapter of patience. Of patience. I'm sure Abraham was tempted to say, God, I don't see why you got me in this season. You made a promise to me, and I'm in my old age, and you ain't fulfilled it yet. God, what you doing? All those years waiting for God to fulfill this promise. And guess what God did? He came through. I'm sure Moses was tempted to say that when he's out there tending sheep for 40 years, and yet God's plan came to pass. I'm sure Joseph was tempted to say that when he was all those years in prison. God, what are you up to? Why am I here right now? And all of, those, and all of them, Abraham, Moses, um, Joseph, are looking back from their life, over their lives, from the glory of heaven, and they're realizing God was up to something even when I couldn't see it. And the same with you this morning. My question for you is, in your season of frustration, are you willing to trust God? If God doesn't pick you up and pluck you out of the place that you are frustrated with right now, are you willing to open your hands and say, God, you must be up to something right now. I can't see it. I'm willing to trust you. To that end, I know there's many people in the room who are in that season right now. So as I, as I close, I want to take a moment and I want to pray for you. So let's do it. Um, Father, we love you. We're thankful that you are a patient God. That you are slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. So Father, I pray that you will teach our hearts to be patient. God, that you will teach us that our patience, that, that, that the situations that we find us in that require patience, they do have a purpose, that you're using that, and even the frustration, even the frustration you're using for the good of those who love you, who've been called according to your purpose. So help us to believe that. Help us to assume a posture of patience, God. Help us to be faithful in obedience, God. Help us to declare in our souls, God, if obedience keeps me in a period of frustration and disobedience will get me out of the frustration. God, help me choose the obedience. Help me to understand that the reward on the other side of that is far better than what I might get if I disobey you. So, Father, will you help us? And God, I just pray that you will help us to be motivated. Help us to see the examples around us. Help us to be uh, uh, patient with people in our lives, those people who are difficult. Help us to be patient with difficult circumstances. And thank you that the gospel empowers that. So, Father, help us to trust in you. Thank you for the patience that you've demonstrated with us on the cross. And you've given us the spirit inside of us that helps us to be patient in our lives right now.
So help us. Help us to know that our light and momentary troubles are achievement for us in eternal glory that far outweighs them. So God, I love you. We thank you. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. If you agree, say amen. amen.